Amen. He is good. Amen. If you will take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. We are going to take at least a one-week pause in the Minor Prophets uh, because I think this is a good time. First Sunday of the year, it's a great opportunity for us to kind of put down some markers. Um, think about, pray about, be about what we want to see God do among us in this year. Um, the, the title here can be a little confusing. If we read that the way we normally read it, I'm afraid that we would put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. So what I really mean by this title is not doing more in 24. It is doing more in 24. Now that may make no sense at all. It may only make sense to me. I'm broken. I get that. But I hope I can show you what I'm talking about when we get into this message. Doing more in 24. Now, before we get into this, to talk about the new year, I, I need to kind of complain about something. I hate New Year's Eve. Hate it. I hate fireworks. If you love fireworks, God bless you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong for loving fireworks. Here's my take on fireworks. Ooh, that was blue. Ooh, silver. Ooh, red. I'm done. I got eight, eight colors and I'm through, okay? Now, again, if you like it, that's you. That's fine. It's not, it doesn't make you sinful. It just makes you wrong. Anyway, just, you know. Now, I don't, that would just be a, a bother. I would still go to fireworks shows if people invited us. But here's why I hate it. I have a 17-pound psychopath, a little dog that loses his ever-loving mind during anything like, like firecrackers, storms, he just loses, just nuts. And, well, they make medication for that. We have, we've got so many pills in this dog, I'm afraid the DEA is going to come confiscate him. We've tried everything. We've, I have begged and pleaded with the vet, just like, give me, can you, can you deafen him? Is, there like, is it legal to deafen a dog so that he can't hear? I'm just at my wits end, so I don't like it. I love me some sleep. And the older I get, the harder sleep is to, to kind of get anybody else. Like the older I get, I'm like, man, I used to sleep till 10. Now if I sleep to 7, I'm like, ooh, where's the day gone? I just, I, so I love sleep. And, and New Year's Eve, firecrackers and the psychopath dog, I just don't get any sleep. So I don't like it. But I love the, the idea of turning the page and entering a new year. So I love the new year. I, I love that we are now in a new year. It's, it's, a, it's a great natural reset point uh, pivot point. It's, a, it's a, just a natural thing. When we flip that calendar to January, we jump into a new year. It's just a really great opportunity for us to, to do some real evaluation. And, and here's kind of what I'm thinking. It's a natural place to hit the reset button because we get to evaluate where we are. We get to consider where we want to go. And then we get to think about what it's going to take to get us there. Now, here's the problem with a lot of us. We think about where we are most of us are not satisfied where we are, uh, then we know where we want to go. But the problem is we don't want to do what it takes to get us there. I just want to snap my fingers and get to where I want to be. I, I want to read more, okay? I don't, but I don't want to read. So I just want to snap my fingers and have read a bunch of books and be able to go check. I read more. I, I want to get in better health. I was telling somebody the other day, uh, six months ago, I was in a, as good a shape as I've been in a decade 
And now, after the last like four months, I'm in worse shape than I've been in 15 years. Uh, so I, I want to get better. I want to get back in the gym. I want to get back into doing the right things and feeling like I did six months ago. But I want to snap my fingers and I want that to happen. And that's just not the way it works. We have to put effort. We have to put feet to our prayer. We have to do something to make these things reality that we hope to achieve. And so for us, I want this to be the greatest year in the history of our church. And to do that, I want it to be the greatest year in the history of every individual part of our church. Each one of you, each member, each servant, each staff member, each leader, elders, deacons, grow group leaders, to the the newest member. I want everybody here to experience all that God has for you this year. I want this to be the greatest year we've ever had. But if all we do is make resolutions... I don't, I don't like making resolutions. I, I prefer to think of it as trying to be resolute, like to, to, to establish that I'm going to do these things and, and just hold myself accountable, not just say, well, I want to do fill in the blank in 2024. Because if you just think about it, it's not going to manifest itself without you putting some effort in. If all we do is just make resolutions, but we never put actions to our resolutions, then what we're going to do is at the end of the year, we're going to wind up with more regrets than my neighbors have money for fireworks. And that's a lot, by the way. I don't know. I feel like I live in Iraq about three three or four weeks out of the year. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this passage, a very well-known passage in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 22 through 25. Now, we're going to focus our three points on verse 22, but we're going, to, we're going to glean some things from the next three verses that kind of help us to understand how to better apply the first verse, okay? So if you would, let's stand. We're going to read the infallible, inspired, all-sufficient Word of God. And I want to just a reminder, this is such a, such a high privilege that we get to stand and hold in our hands the very words of our Creator, and we get to read these together and worship Him in spirit and in truth in the open. So let's take advantage of that. Read with me in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, and I'm again reading from the Christian Standard Bible. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Would you pray with me? Father, speak today through your word, through your flawed servant, but most of all through your Holy Spirit. God, let me be a conduit. Just move my opinions out of the way. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. God, speak to those who have not yet professed Christ. Draw them to repentance and faith. God, those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, draw us into a more right relationship with him as you conform us into the image of your perfect son. And we pray all this for his glory. We pray it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Number one, the first point is probably a little bit of a, uh, maybe a curveball to you. Uh, But the first point that I want to make here is that we are to be a hearer. Now, that that may be natural to you. You may see that and and, and never misunderstood that. But I think sometimes the problem with this verse and how we just kind of run through it is that we think, oh, don't be a hearer. Being a hearer is bad. No, no, no. Being a hearer is necessary. You can't be anything else until you are a hearer. Uh, the verse does not tell us not to be a hearer, only that we are to never only be a hearer. 
So, so don't, don't not be a hearer. Don't plug your ears and just bounce merrily through life with no, uh, you know, no word of God coming into your ears or through your eyes. No, hear it, but just don't let it stay as only a hearer. The phrase, not hearers only, points to the danger of reading the Bible without applying what you're reading. It applies to the danger of hearing a sermon without application of the sermon. I think, you know, that's one of the problems we have is when we hear so many sermons, but we don't apply any of it. There was a story of a guy who went to a church. He was just called as the pastor, and he came in one Sunday, and he preached really hard, great message, and he preached it really good, and everybody was really excited, and everybody was, hey, man, we called the right guy. This is a great thing. He went home. The next Sunday, they show up, and he preaches the same message. Now, some of the people are like some of you. They didn't notice because they weren't listening the first time. So they just sat there. It was like, amen, that's good. And they just went home. So the third week, he preaches the same sermon again. Now, even the ones who didn't pay attention the first week kind of started to catch on. Like, that sounds vaguely familiar. Some of the people who were listening were like, hold up. And so they asked him after the service, preacher, why, look, we called you as our pastor. We thought you had more than one sermon. You've preached this same message three weeks in a row. He said, well, here's the deal. If you start doing this one, We'll move on and I'll preach on something else. That's, that little joke, that little comedy is the, is the principle that we're talking about here. We have so many people that just hear the word, but they never apply it. I'm going to give you two verses on the first point. And I'm going to leave you hanging because we're going to finish them on the second point. Spoiler alert, I think you know where we're going anyway. But listen to the first part of these two verses. The first one is Romans 2.13. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says... For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God. Bad news, if you came here today thinking that you were going to sit under my preaching and be made righteous, <laughs> no, nah. that ain't how that works. And that's what Paul is telling the church at Rome. Now, we're going to read this, the second part of the verse later. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24. I love that song, Grace, and it, it talks about that in the bridge, uh, rains fell, wind blew, but my house was built on you. This is where it comes from. It's the parable that Jesus gave of the two houses. One was built on sand and one was built on the solid rock. It was built on Jesus. So, so what's the difference in the two houses? Not the weather that they encountered. The weather was the same. The result of the weather was what changed. So in Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, he's wrapping up this parable, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine. Now we're going to finish the verse in the second point. But my premise is this. Jesus is saying before we can get to the building on the foundation, you have to hear what I'm trying to say to you. You have to hear the Word of God. You have to hear the Holy Spirit speaking and prompting you in your life. You have to hear it because we can never do what we have never heard. We can never do what we have never heard. And then verses 23 and 24 explain the problem with only being a hearer. If you let it here, if hearing is your, your end-all, be-all, here's the problem. Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. I want to do a little experiment. <clears throat> and now, you're going to have to agree to this, and this is a week-long experiment, so go with me. What I want us to do is all the men, all next week, Here's the only way you can shave. You look in the mirror, you compute, you analyze, and then you go to another room with no mirror and you shave. Now some of us with beards, I'm afraid we're going to be 
clean shaven next week because you, you're going to gank that beard up so bad that it's going to look like a, a travesty. But that's what I want us to do because that's what happens when we hear only and we don't apply. We look in the mirror and then we go away and we forget what we look like and then if we shave over here, we're going to come back looking raggedy. Even if you don't have a beard, you're going to have some little stripes where you miss some, some spaces, some little patches where they ain't supposed to be patches. You're going to look rough. Now, ladies, you're not off the hook either. This whole week, what we're going to do is you, got, you ladies are going to look in the mirror, compute, analyze, remember, and you're going to walk away and you're going to do your makeup, pluck whatever y'all pluck and do whatever. I don't know what all y'all do. It's, it's a whole thing, Okay. Hairspray flying. We, listen, I told April the other day, she got a spot in the bathroom that's so slick you could ice skate on it. <laughs> From all the product that she's in, she'll do this and flick your hair back. And like, I'm like, half the time I'm walking in, I get, I get like 40 lashes with curls. But this week, you're going to go look in the mirror and then you're going to walk away to another room with no mirror and that's where you're going to put your makeup on. By the way, don't do it in your car like some of these crackpots do on Airport Boulevard. These ladies come by me doing 75, and they got the thing down, and they got the steering wheel on their knee, and they're just painting and tweezing. Y'all have got a death wish. So we're going to do that this week. Everybody in? No, of course not. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody in their right mind would look in the mirror and then go away to shave or go away to put their makeup on. They're going to look in the mirror, and they're going to keep looking in the mirror as they shave or as they put their makeup on. Why? Because that's necessary because we have short memories and, and we can't perfectly remember and we can't perfectly guide the razor or the, the brush or whatever. We have to be able to look. That's what he's saying to us here. If we, if we hear only and we don't do, it's like looking in the mirror and walking away to shave or put our makeup on. It's not going to be effectual and we're going to look pretty ridiculous. Just as you would look ridiculous if you shaved or put on your makeup that way, imagine how ridiculous you look to the Lord when you live your life that way. Well, I went to church on Sunday. I don't have to look at the mirror the rest of the week. That's what we're doing. I don't have to read the Bible daily. I don't have to, I don't have to work and, and, and try to read commentaries and, and hear sermons. Listen, that, that's one of the reasons that we changed our work this year. The past two years, we've done a read through the Bible together. And by the way, thank you, everybody here who has read through the Bible with us, either both or one of those years, thank you. Nothing blesses your pastor's heart like looking at that and seeing how many people completed the Bible reading for the year. They stayed on track or they got caught up and they read through the entire Bible together. It's not that difficult. But what we wanted to do this year was concentrate on the New Testament so we wouldn't have as much to read, but we could work on the application. So, so the, pro, the program we're doing now uses HEAR, H-E-A-R, it's, it's an acronym for, for how to get some things out of that scripture. You're going to read it. You're going to make some notes. We're hoping that it will, you will make you look in that mirror more and more every day so that you can be a doer and not a hearer only. Point number two, be a doer. We're to be a hearer first. That's the primary thing we're called to do is listen. Listen to the word of God. Hear, O Israel. Remember, that's the Shema in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. He didn't tell them just to hear, though. He told them to hear so that they could what? Be a doer. Once we hear the word, we have to put into action what we've heard. We can never begin to do right until we hear what is right. And that's much of the problem with people who have gone to church for a long time but have never applied what they've heard. They've heard thousands and thousands of sermons, but they've never applied any of them. And so what are they? They're useless. 
Yeah, but I made a profession of faith. Yeah, but what did you do with that profession of faith? I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to say that I believe in Jesus and I'm going to get back. We had a seven-year-old boy get baptized this morning. And we had a grown man get baptized in the, just beginning the second service. Those two acts did not save them. They are an outward sign of an inward change. If all they do from this point forward is claim their baptism and they never live for Jesus, they never have fruit of the Spirit. Now, again, God is the judge, I'm not, but I am called to be a fruit inspector. If you don't have any fruit, you don't have any root. If you don't produce fruit, then you are not really a believer. Yeah, but I say I am. Okay, I'm a Chevrolet. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're going to put gas in me. That doesn't mean I'm going to get you across town quickly. I can say whatever I want to, but I have to live and act like what I really am. We have, we have stirred those waters. But if those waters are stirred and the hearts of those individuals are not, there is nothing that saves them in that, in that act of baptism. You can't constantly hear messages and never live them out and be changed. That's not how it works. We've, they've heard plenty of sermons, but they've never applied what they've heard. They've never allowed it to guide their actions. The word doers in the, the, the Greek here is poietes. Poietes. And it means a keeper. Literally, it means an obeyer. One who obeys. Not just doing stuff. There's a lot of people who do a lot of stuff, but they're not doers. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I'm busy. So is a hummingbird. If a, if a buzzard flapped his wings as fast as a hummingbird, he'd go 700 miles an hour. It's not about how much you do. It's about that you're doing what God has laid on your heart to do. You're doing what you have heard. You're doing what you have read. You are a hearer first, and then you are a doer. You are an obeyer of what you hear. Now, we're going to look at those other two verses I mentioned. We're going to finish them out. First, Romans 2.13. Remember, I gave you the first part. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God. And then there's this transitional word, but... But the doers of the law will be justified. Now hear me. Doing does not justify you. Justification is by grace through faith in Christ. That's how we're justified. That's how we're redeemed. But when you don't do, that tells me you have not been justified. You're doing, your acts of following through with what the Scriptures say, following through with what you have heard to do, that shows that you have been justified. Your justification doesn't come from the doing. It is revealed by the doing. We are not saved by works. We are saved to works. We are saved in order to be workers. That's the call. Go back to Matthew 20, uh, 7, 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, here's another conjunction, and... All right, so Paul said, you're not righteous by hearing, but the doers will be justified. Jesus says... Those who hear the word of mine and act on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. Not just the person who receives, the person who receives and then goes out and lives it. That's one of the major problems we have in the church in America today. We have a whole lot of people who profess Jesus and not as many people who reflect Jesus. That's why in Matthew 7, Jesus utters the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture. He says, In the last days there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And he'll say, but you didn't do what I told you to do. You were busy doing, but you weren't doing what I told you to do. And so what is he going to tell them? Depart from me, I never knew you. 
Yeah, but I was busy. I was active in the church. I was a deacon. I was an elder. I was a pastor. I was a whatever. Yeah, but you weren't sold out for me. You weren't committed to me. You didn't give your life to me. You just did stuff to make it look like you belonged to me, but you never belonged to me. Those people are hearers, but not doers of what they have heard. Jesus makes it crystal clear. There is not any gray area in this verse I'm about to tell you. And upon it hinges everything in the New Testament. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. There's no, there's no mystery in that. You know, I wonder what he meant by that. You know, uh, was it Peter said some of Paul's words are confusing? He's right. Some of Paul's words, you're like, what is Paul saying there? Predestined foreknowledge and, and, and how does this work and that work? And, and, and I just don't. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Could not be simpler. I'm even going to boil it down. If you do then you will. If you won't, then you don't. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you do, you will. By the reverse of that, if you don't, then, or if you won't, then you don't. That's how we know somebody's a follower of Jesus, not because of their church membership or their baptism. We could baptize you every Sunday. You'll just be soggy when you go to hell. If you've never truly repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, church membership is vitally important. I don't want to soft, soft shoe this. Church membership is vitally important so you can identify with a body of believers. They can identify with you. You can show the world that you're part of the family of faith at this church or some other church. So, so there's nothing wrong. There's, there's everything good about church membership. But church membership does not save you. It's, church membership is not salvific. It's saying we're taking your word that you are what you say you are. But we want to make sure that you are a doer and not just a hearer. First we have to hear, but then we have to do. We have to act upon what we've heard. Verse 25 explains what a doer looks like. He says, but the one who looks intently, think about this, stares like laser beams, like, like puts effort into what they're looking at. They're, they're looking intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. How do we know you're saved? We'll see your works. Again, no root, no fruit, no fruit, no root. Uh, I think it was Billy Sunday that came and they said, hey, we had 250 people saved here last week. And he said, we'll see. We'll see. We had 250 profess Christ, but let's see how they live. Let's see how they respond to adversity. L let's see when, when things don't go the way they want to. Let's see if they keep bouncing back. Let's see if they keep trusting the Lord. Listen, we have been through a lot of tragedy. Tragedy is never good, but I can tell you on the other side, God still is. Whoever looks intently, perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. Notice that he didn't say this person will be blessed in what he hears, or this person will be, say, will be blessed in what he says. It says this person will be blessed in what he does, because we have to be a doer. This is why it's so important, so vitally important that we get the gospel as it is to people as they are. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But the lead into that is where we need to look at today. Verses 14 and 15 of Romans 10. He says, how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? To get to the point of hearing the word of Christ, 
Faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. How do they get there? There has to be motivation. There has to be activation. There has to be activity. There has to be giving. There has to be going. There has to be prayer. There has to be faithfulness. There has to be encouragement. This is the very reason we are still here on earth, to make disciples. If God is not a God of disorder, He's a God of order. If He saved you to go to heaven, you would poof when you prayed. He doesn't save you to go to heaven. He saves you to get other people into heaven. He saves you to put you to work. You are either an ambassador for Jesus or you are a false ambassador. You are either an undercover agent or you are an ambassador for Christ. You are either an evangelist or you are an imposter. I come to church a lot. Who have you told about Jesus? Well, you know, my faith is a private thing. (laughs) Jesus hung naked on a cross. Boss, how is your faith going to be a private thing and honor the Lord? This is why we study the Word and share the Word. It's why we give to missions and live on mission. This is it. Because we are not going to be hearers only. We are going to be doers. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's what he's saying. Hearing is wasted without doing. Paul had poured into Timothy. If Timothy just stood there with his mouth open and just drank all that Paul poured into him, he would have been useless. Paul said, don't be a hearer. I'm going to pour into you. When you you receive from me, you go out and give it to somebody else and tell them to go give it to somebody else. These are the generational moves of discipleship. If, If all I'm doing is walking with Jesus and I'm not trying to help somebody else walk with Jesus, I'm not doing my job. Grow group leaders. We're going to have a little impromptu grow group leader meeting this morning. I hope Don will be okay with it. If all you are doing is teaching your lesson and you're not trying to prepare somebody to be able to take your place or launch a class, you're only doing part of your job. That's what a disciple maker does. A disi- Listen, I tell people this, me and Grayson have laughed about this. I, I feel like I worked with Grayson and poured into Grayson for several years. What I was basically doing was I was working on somebody taking my job. That, that's, that's discipleship. I'm trying to pour into people and train people so that I will become irrelevant unnecessary. I can move on then and I can take my skills and do something else, but I can pour into somebody else. I'm trying to always, always, always be training my replacements. That's discipleship. You can't disciple with a private faith. So be a hearer. Number two, be a doer. And then third, finally, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. The number one reason people do not act on what they hear when it comes to the gospel is that they are deceived. And the number one deceiver is typically us. If you were not deceived, you could not possibly read the New Testament, watch the life of Jesus, and not think to yourself, I must know Christ and I must make Christ known. You can't. The great commandment, Jesus says, they're trying to trip him up. They said, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the last thing Jesus told the disciples and thereby told us before he left was go make disciples. That's it. Love God, love others, make disciples. Those are the three things we cannot, it's unequivocal that Jesus told us to do. And yet we are fooled into thinking that we can have salvation and never share it. 
that we can have a faith in Jesus that doesn't require anything of us, that we can hear these messages and feel good about ourselves and go home and go to heaven and never have to sacrifice, never have to be obedient, never have to give up ourselves, never have to die to self. Uh, Those are all lies. That's not how it works. The word deceiving there in the Greek is paralagizomai. Paralagizomai. A lot of of syllables there. It means to misreckon. In other words, to delude, to beguile, or to deceive. Now, now here's what I want to help you see this. Let's look at Genesis 3. Deception lies at the core of the very first time a human being was ever deceived. If you go to Genesis 3, you read the account where the initiator of the deception was Satan. The initiator of the deception is always Satan. He's a liar. He's a, he's a, uh, Jesus said he's, he's a father of lies. He, he speaks in his native tongue when he's lying to you. That's who he is. So he's always the initiator of deception. In Genesis 3, 1, he goes to Eve and he goes, by, by the way, don't miss this. Pay attention to this. Satan didn't go to Eve and say, you know, God said you could eat this. Because she'd have been like, no, I don't think that's what he said. Satan didn't go and say, hey, you should listen to me and not God. You can eat that fruit if you want to. She probably would have been like, no, I don't think that didn't sound right. So what did she do? What, what did he do? He said, did God really say? See, he, all he had to do was initiate deception. He just had to plant a little seed, give a little like, boop, a little, little, little nudge. Just kind of one of those where you walk by and kind of, just a little nudge. And she went, hmm. Because see, an initiator requires an enactor. And the enactor of the deception is and was, and will be, us. Genesis 3, 6, The woman saw the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it, and gave some to her husband who was with her. Notice what she didn't do. You know, you make a reasonable argument, snake. By the way, she should have said there's a talking snake. Maybe I shouldn't take culinary advice from him. Maybe a talking serpent is not the greatest person to be my life coach, you know? No, she said, yeah, what did did he say? And then she looked, she didn't look at the lie. She didn't look at the truth. She looked at the fruit and she thought, yeah, it does look pretty good. It looks tasty. It looks like it'd be good to eat and it will make me like God. That was the real thing. Listen, at the heart of every sin that you commit, you are trying to usurp God's authority and put yourself in his position. And she said, you know, I think I will eat it because I do want to eat that. I do want to do what I want to do and I want to be like God. So the initiator of the deception is the same. It's Satan. The enactor of the deception is the same. It's us. Now that we've established that we should not be fooled, how do we avoid it? We go back to points one and two. How do you avoid being fooled? You be a hearer and then you be a doer. If you are devoted to hearing the word of God and dedicated to doing the will of God, you are less likely to be fooled. And James warns us in verse 25 to avoid being what he calls, quote, a forgetful hearer. But that's exactly what our flesh pushes us to be. Your flesh wants its way 100 out of 100 times. And Paul would say that we battle with it, we wrestle with the flesh. Our spirit and our flesh are at war all the time. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the air. That is our flesh. Now, yes, Satan has demons and, 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 and workers on his behalf to come and try to help uh, lead us astray, draw us from Christ. But our flesh is our primary adversary. Our flesh tries to keep us from hearing the word, 
but it really puts a lot of effort into keeping us from doing the Word. Most of you probably are like me. You had some hurdles to overcome in order to get up and come to church this morning. Maybe you woke up and you didn't feel great. Maybe you woke up and didn't sleep good. Maybe you had a restless night. Maybe you've, you've got, you know, the dog tore something up or the kid was having some problem or you found out somebody's homework wasn't done and getting ready for classes to start back. Or you got, there's always something, you, some ball game on. The Lord have mercy. We can't miss a ball game. I mean, there's just something always pulling on us and dragging on us. But, but you who are here today overcame it. You battled your flesh, you fought against it, and you came to church. Congratulations. Now, let's repeat that the next 300 and whatever days are left in the year. Every day, wake up and battle that flesh. Don't listen to the flesh when it tries to keep you from reading the Word of God, from hearing the Word of God. Listen, how many of y'all have Googled stupid stuff? Come on, tell the truth. Let's be honest. You've Googled something that there ain't no real reason that you needed to know that. Are zebras white with black stripes or black with white stripes? Why did giraffe neck so long? Like we, all, we all Google goofy stuff. You ever had that thing where you're watching the show and like, oh, that's that thing. That's that, he was, she was, that's, that's the thing. The guy, the thing, I got it. Now you spend 30 minutes trying to figure out who this, what movie this guy was in. And by the way, you're probably wrong. It was probably somebody just looked like him. But we do that. And then, Lord forbid, you go try to figure it out on YouTube. Oh, my goodness. You get sucked into the YouTube vortex of related links. And then, you know, like... Seven years later, you realize that I have been sitting here looking at YouTube videos for seven years. My family has all left me. I'm sitting here just like... We have all these resources. We spend our time looking up dumb things, researching wasteful, useless things. Why don't you go try to find some good Bible teachers? There are so many great commentaries online. There are so many great... Uh, preachers, pastors, speakers who put their material out there. If you, if you don't know who to look at, who to follow, come talk to one of us. We, we will get you a list. Uh, Matt Chandler, John MacArthur, uh, 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 Alistair Begg. I was just talking about that one this morning. There, there's so many, and all of their resources are online. All of them are, are in podcast form or on YouTube video, or, or you can go find their website and pull, draw. I mean, some of them, there are some really phenomenal links out there to study the Word. By the way, if you're spending money on Fifty Shades of whatever and not buying commentaries, miss me with I don't have the money to spend on my study of theology. And by the way, let me say one more thing. Ah, theology is too hard. You took algebra in school, most of us. Some of these kids are taking trig and pre-cal trig and quantum physics and all this stuff. Listen, theology ain't nothing compared to that. You just got to study it. You got to want to. I don't get to fish anymore. It's one of the things that I really miss. I used to fish a ton when I was in Florella, when I was in Dothan. I love it. I love to fish. Here's what I've noticed. Things that I really love, I know a ton of stuff about. Listen, I can talk to you about rattle traps and lipless crankbaits and jerk baits and stick baits and uh, plastic baits and different colors and different water clarities. And if it's acidic water and it's kind of a murky looking, it's actually very clear. You've got to get the right color lure at the time of year, the water temperature, spawn, pre-spawn, post-spawn, uh, when the shad run. And, you know, I, look, I got all that stuff up here. <clears throat> I can talk to you about what pound test and what monofilament and braid and all that, you know, bait caster, you know, open face. We can talk about all that stuff. What dawned on me one day is I know all that stuff about fishing. I don't know near that much about the Bible. So why don't I put a little bit more time and money and effort into knowing the things of God? I want to be a hearer, so I need to hear. But to be a doer, I've got to understand what I hear, so I'm going to put a little effort into it. I'm going to put a little work into it. If you know how many 
championships your team has won and who all the players are and who all the, how many draft picks or how many, who all the recruits are. Some of y'all know more about these recruits than their mom and daddy does. Like y'all got that, man, this kid's, man, he's awesome. He runs a 4'2", and he jumps 17 feet in the air, and he, he likes Snickers in the morning, and he eats some cold, he eats them with a fork and knife. How do y'all know that stuff about this kid? He's 17 years old. Recite me one verse of Scripture you've memorized. Well, uh, you know, I, I should got time for that. If, you, if that's you, you're setting yourself up to be fooled. You are setting yourself up to be fooled. Let me give you this. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Get this now. There's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. What he's saying is, if you keep asking God to leave you alone and let you enjoy your life, you keep asking him that, he just may give it to you. He will leave you alone. He goes on to say, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, to those who knock, it is opened. That's why it's important that we make sure that we're not just a hearer, that we're a doer, and that we don't get fooled. If we avoid being fooled by our flesh and listen to the Spirit, we have to make a choice. We have to submit to God. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua tells them that this is the choice. He says, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? The gods of your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living? In other words, he's saying, are you going to worship the God or, or a God? Big G, the God or little G, a God? And he says this, but for me and my house, we will serve, we will worship the Lord. Now, some translations say serve, and the CSB says worship. The word worship is really interchangeable with the word serve or service. In the Hebrew, it is abad, which, which is what the word is here in Joshua 24, 15. He says, uh, as for me and my family, we will abad the Lord. We will serve, we will worship the Lord. In Romans 12, 1, he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, uh, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. But some translations say service. The Greek word there is latria, and it is interchangeable. Abad can mean serve or worship. Latria can mean serve or worship. Why? Because our worship is our service, and our service to God is our worship. That's why it's so important to be a hearer to be a doer and to not be fooled so that you can serve and worship God the way He deserves and desires to be served and to be worshipped. Notice that He doesn't say that He and His family will hear the Lord, but they will worship the Lord. They will serve the Lord. And they can only do that if they are not fooled. Be a hearer. Be a doer. Do not be fooled. We'll close with this. I, I really do want to do all that I can this year to make much of Jesus. I don't, I don't do resolutions. That's just not my jam. If you do, that's great. I, I'm more kind of, and I don't do the, like, pick the word or whatever. That's good. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, just whatever works for you is fine. What I'm telling you is that I try to just think about every year, at the beginning of the year, I try to think about this. Lord, how can I make much of Jesus this year? What, what can I do to improve myself, to grow my faith, to grow my influence, to be a better husband, a better dad, a better uh, friend, a better pastor, 
what can I do, Lord, to make much of Jesus? That's what I want this year, and that's what I want for you this year. I want this to be the most powerful year in the history of our church. And to do that, it's going to take each and every one of you. I want you all to have the greatest year you have ever had in service to our King. That doesn't mean that you're going to have a healthy year. It doesn't mean you have a prosperous year, but you could still have a, a, an impactful year where you make much of Jesus. But if we're going to do that, it will demand that we hear the word, that we be doers of the word, and that we resist the natural temptation of our flesh to fool ourselves into thinking that hearing is enough or that we can do whatever we want to and still be in right relationship with the Lord. We cannot. We must hear and do what we hear. We have to respond in faith to what we hear. Now, to that end, to help us, I've given you on the back of the sermon notes sheet this week, uh, and it's also, Josh posted it in the Facebook post in our group, a list of 10 things for 2024. Now, hold on. Don't start looking at them right now and answering them right now because you're going to miss what I'm going to say. I want you to stay with me until we get finished. I have taken the last four of those, and I want to talk to you about those four as we close. So they're on your list. They're the last four on the, on the list of 10 things. Number one, if you could accomplish one thing this year that would have real long-term impact, what would you want that to be? If, if I could only accomplish one thing this year that would have real, lasting, long-term impact, what would you want that to be? Number two, who do I know right now that would be a good investment of my time and energy that would better me? Now, that may sound weird, but just stay with me. I want to find somebody who is killing it for Jesus. I want to look around. I want to find somebody who I feel like is really modeling Jesus, who's, who's walking in faith, who's serving well, living well, uh, you know, whatever position in life, they're doing it well, and you think they have some wisdom, and you want to invest some of your time getting to know that person so that it would make you a better person. Number three, who do I know right now that would be a good investment of my time and energy that would better them? So what you've done first is you found somebody that you feel is above the ladder on you, closer to Jesus, has some things to, that you can glean from. Then you look and you find somebody who, hey, I see this person. It looks like they're new to the faith or maybe they're scuffling a little bit, but I know that the Lord can use them. I'm going to invest my time and energy to try to help disciple them. That's the Paul, Barnabas, Timothy relationships that we're supposed to look for. That's the Titus 3 model. We're supposed to find people that are closer to Jesus that can help draw us up and people who are further from Jesus who we can help draw up. That's what I want us to try to think about and what I want us to try to uh, put our energy into this year. And then number four, what are the things that I have heard in sermons or read from Scripture that I need to start doing immediately? What are the things that I have read or heard that I need to start doing immediately? Here's my premise. If all you ever do is hear good sermons or read powerful texts of Scripture or even books about Scripture, commentaries, whatever, if all you ever do is hear or read, but you never take those things that you have heard or read and let them change you, then we are all wasting our time. We're just spinning our tires. If we want to make much of Jesus, if we want to see Jesus exalted, if we want to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must dedicate ourselves to apply what we know, apply what we hear, what we read. If we are going to be all that Christ wants us to be, we need to be hearers, but not stop there. We need to be doers, but not stop there. We need to not be fooled. That's my desire for us as a church in 2024, that we would be doing more in 24. 
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word. Thank you for the truth in it. Thank you for the conviction of it. Thank you for uh, the fact that we can read these words and be challenged and encouraged. But God, I pray that it would not leave, uh, that we would not leave it here. That the challenge of your word to, to be a hearer, but to be a doer and to not be fooled, that we would not pass that off or say, that was a good, a good message and we'll move on and do our lives as normal. <clears throat> God, I pray that you would convict us, challenge us, draw us out of our shells. Draw us out of ourselves. Help us to be all that we can be for Jesus this coming year. Help us to serve you faithfully, <laughs> to serve you well. And Lord, I pray that you would get the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen.